And it's 3DD, and we loving all your features. And it's 3DD, and we super inclusive. All with our privilege, and we will never abuse it. And it's 3DD, we be bumping through the speakers. And it's 3DD, and we loving all your features. And it's 3DD, and we super inclusive. All with our privilege, and we will never abuse it. Head top, Harry, yet he be laughing at these niggas who can't even handle it. Mr. Black Glove, coming with the smoothness. Probably take your chick. Who that nigga be so ruthless? I'm truly Mr. Playboy, Rafi, no axe, no blood, crack, question. Up to nobody, just you, them. It's Lexus, your girlfriend, favorite exes. Three jets and a duet when they asking who's the best. It's black excellence, we don't know about nothing else. Yo, what's good? What's good? What's good? You don't know it's TJ and a duet. Da, 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 da. So you don't know, Asian up on the mic, but there you see it. Andre head top period, Andre A, Andre AKA head top period. But right now I'm like, I'm flat top period because I got a, I got a haircut. Yeah, so my hair is, I cut it off. So I'm back to going like going back to waves now. Wait, this man, stay through, like coming through like the solidest hairstyles. But look at these waves, dog. No, they're not premature. That. Waves, premature. There we go. Premature. Ah. Uh, premature baby, baby waves. They're coming in still. You see a little bit of ripples. They're coming a in bit, still. Right? Yeah. The back is strong. Still. Yeah, I, it's strong. like muscle memory. I don't know. My head top just remembers like <laughs> this <is the> pattern. <laughs> um, and you already know who this is, but honest, Khalid Rafi, the Loki OG, the versatile job. But don't ask me no questions, but. No, from a blood clot question. Alex is not here to hype it Yeah, I know. The fans are probably wondering, like, yo, where's Alex? This guy but he's still with us. He's still, still with us. Yeah. Yo, Busy, though. Just know, like, it's not beef, though. Yeah, it's not a beef. Be- <laughs> People might be like, yo, is he not in the podcast anymore? What's going on? Yeah, when, when he comes through, he'll, he'll share, his, he'll tell his own story. Yeah. Um, and y'all will know, like, get an update on, like, what's been going on with them. Mm-hmm. Um, but before we start, when, uh, Andre's going to um, do the land, land acknowledgement. So I'll pass it on the mic over. Thank you. So we would like to acknowledge that this city is situated upon traditional territories. The territories include the Wendat, Anishinaabe Nation, the Haudenosaunee, Haudenosaunee Confederacy, and the Mississaugas of the New Credit First Nations and the Métis Nations. So again, it's really important for us to do our land acknowledgement because we understand as black folks we are not truly liberated and unless indigenous people are, are liberated as well and we definitely want to push forward conversations like thinking about what it means to give back stolen resources give back stolen land and to really pursue self-determination for ourselves for indigenous folks and for everybody really so it's really important that we continue to do this work so without further ado i would like to introduce our guest of today <laughs> Okay, so um, our guest for today is the founder of Black Space Winnipeg, 
host of Raw Colors, a local percussionist and former racialized student commissioner for the Canadian Federation of Students. Alexa Joy Potashnik works to create safe spaces for people of color and challenge white male privilege, dominance, and supremacy through grassroots activism. She was MC for the Women's March on Washington in Winnipeg and introduced Dr. Angela Davis at her lecture, Freedom is a Constant Struggle. She's spoken at We Day Canada, presented at TEDx University of Winnipeg with a fire TEDx talk. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> That's very fun. is on the Community Advisory Committee of Winnipeg, and she's recognized as one of CBC's future 40 under 40. Please welcome, without further ado, Alexa DeJoy Potashnik. Hey, uh, so nice. To, so nice. Thank you so much for having me. <laughs> yes, and thank you so much for like you know reaching out to us and like oh, supporting our to. podcast and like I had to. Dope. I've been I've been following you guys for a while now, and I just first of all when I when I saw the name, I was like three dress and a do rag. I said that's what's up. And <laughs> I just thought you 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 guys are just so creative, and I I love what you're doing, and it's amazing to see like especially young men just like you know carrying on the movement in Toronto. So. Much respect. Thank you, thank you so thank much. You, thank you. Thank you. Mm -hmm. Cool. So just to warm up the conversation a little bit, we have a, a little game for you. If you don't mind playing this game with us. Oh, sure. So the game is called Would You Rather? Or like, I prefer like a more colloquial term, this or that. Okay. Uh, we're going to give you like two to four questions just to get to know you a little bit better, okay? Sure. Oh, cool. So... First question, I peeped that you you are a Marvel fan, like you was Gohan with these Halloween costumes, so shout out to you. So, oh, if you, so if you could have, say, Marvel or DC for the rest of your life, which would you choose? Oh, Marvel, without a question. I never really liked, I, I always found um, growing up, like I, I, I didn't ever like any superheroes really from DC. Like I, I thought, and actually, as I got older and realized that Batman is the epiphany of like white privilege, yeah, I can, I can, uh, I can. Am I allowed to swear on your show? Oh yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, I'm allowed to fuck. I, I, I'd rather fuck with Marvel way more because, like, growing up, my favorite superhero was Spider-Man because I knew he was he was supposed to be black. 100%. And I know Miles Morales is like coming out with a movie or whatever. He's like the black Spider-Man, but Spider-Man in my image was always black. He was like a student. He was struggling. He grew up in Queens. I was like, this kid shouldn't be white. <laughs> but um, I, yeah, I always loved, um, I, I prefer Marvel. Yeah. Sorry, DC. <laughs> mm, cool, cool, cool. I do not know. <laughs> wow. I'm not a big superhero yeah. person. Like, so I don't even know. Like, I don't know. I actually don't know. Hold on, all right. Actually, I wasn't my for the longest time. My thing was Hulk, but then someone unpacked Hulk that he's just like super like toxic. Like mm. he like em he embodies like toxic masculinity. Mm. Um, so I can't say Hulk no more. Um, I don't know. Still, I don't know. You know what? I have a decent argument. Um, like growing up, I was always on like DC for a hot minute, just because like. I didn't see a lot of mediums for Marvel to get into, and I didn't read much of the Marvel comics. But now I have to say, like, shout out to Marvel and a lot of these, like, productions, whether it be, like, Venom, the Avengers series. Like, if I had to peep anything for the rest of my life, 100% it would have to be Marvel. And my partner, like, also loves Spider-Man, too, so, yeah. Mm. Yeah, and, and Black Panther, I guess, too. Yeah, right? exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Black Panther's what, Marvel? Or yeah, Marvel. Yeah, it's Marvel. 
So moving on to the second question, PS4, Xbox, or Nintendo? Um, which one would you choose as your uh, game? It's hard because I, I'm a 90s baby, so I was like huge into Nintendo 64. That was my shit. Um, and then Xbox 360 and PS2. Those are the ones that I really remember playing. Mm. Um, oh, shit. I'll go with Nintendo because, you know, you can't, you can't. I just, I had so many memories with my Nintendo, so I'll stick with that one. What about you? Yo, honestly, I can, like, empathize with why, like, you would pick Nintendo. But I have to say, from my childhood experience in the 90s, it has to be PlayStation. Mm. Classic. All the way to PS2, PS3, and PS4. Like, now it's my console, but ain't nobody can touch me on that. <laughs> um, and they have the best exclusive. Don't at me. None of y'all at me. Uh, um, I grew up on Nintendo too, right? My first ever like gaming system was um was a Nintendo Super Nintendo actually Super Nintendo, and then I got um. Cube, I got the Cube next, and um, like I so saw, I grew up on a lot of like Donkey Kong, yeah. um, Mario, like a lot of that stuff. But then my life changed when my sister gave me a PlayStation Portable, and that like took me to the next level. So I'm gonna have to stick with the PlayStation still because I was like, yeah, that was honestly she, she got it for me for Christmas, and I was not expecting it because it was mad expensive at that time, right? So when I oh, yeah. like, yo, I almost like fainted to be honest, I almost had a little heart attack. But um, yeah, that 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 PlayStation Portable did me very well until I, had to, I gave it away to one of my cousins in Jamaica, but it, it lasted me a good couple of years. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, I'd say Nintendo because I remember the first game I ever had. I think my mom, when my mom came to Canada, um, she had bought it for me and then she sent it down and it had like probably like two games. Mm-hmm. Like I know like Donkey Kong was one of them mm-hmm. and I forgot the other one. Um, and that was like for a hot minute, like whenever you had, if you had a gaming system back home in Jamaica, like you're the, oh, you're the shit, you're yeah. the bot. <laughs> <laughs> like, every man, every man's like, yo, what's good, what's good? Um, yeah, and I just remember like playing that for a little bit until it broke. Oh, yeah. Mm. I say, yeah, I say Nintendo. Yo, I love how no man rates Xbox. <laughs> yeah, I never had, I never, yeah, I barely played Xbox. Barely, yeah. I never had one either. So I think this will be our final question. If you were to get flewed, flewed out, or flown out of like these two popular destinations that like people are raving over on, especially on like Black Twitter, which would you choose? Santorini or Japan? I think Japan. Um, well, I've never, I actually haven't been overseas yet. So mm-hmm. um, I've, I've traveled, you know, throughout Canada, a little throughout the States. Um, so I really got to amp up my travel game. But, you know, money is an issue. As, oh, as, yeah. coming, as a, I just graduated last year. So I'm trying to. Hey, congratulations. My, oh, thank you. I'm trying to find my adult, you know, life. <laughs> I'm trying to get that in order. Um, but I would say Japan only because I, I just I well, I've never been to either of those places. But I, I would I would go there because of. I think the the rich history and the culture, um, and yeah, to experience something new. So outside of those two options, where would the like if you're gonna plan a trip because you've never been overseas, like where would you where would the first place uh, you would go? Oh, uh, you know that one's hard. I so my my mom's side is from Jamaica, so my grandparents are from Clarendon. Mm. Um, and they, they moved from Clarendon to England to Winnipeg. Like that was their, their, their journey. And I've always wanted to go back. I've never been to Jamaica yet. And I want to go back because my, my, my family still owns land there. Um, and there's just so much that I've yet to learn about my own, you know, history and my family tree. So 
I'd say Jamaica, like number one. Uh, and then I've, I've always like, I have this, this law, lo- this longing to, to um, check out the pyramids, like mm-hmm. in Egypt. That's mm-hmm. always been something that I, I know I need to see before I go on to my next life. <laughs> yeah. Those pyramids are something else, man. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Though, so, uh, I mean, what, what would y'all choose? Hmm. Like out of those two, or just in general? I mean, we could broaden it up, but like, say a block Twitter. Which one? <laughs> which one would you choose? I'll go to Japan. I'll go to Japan. Japan. Yeah. For the, those two, I think Japan. I don't know. But, like the one you, what's it called? Santorini. Santorini is yeah. in Greece, right? Yeah. Yeah, I think I want to get like yeah somewhere different. I feel like not. I don't know Greece, but I feel like Japan would just be like something completely out of the mm-hmm. spectrum. You know? Mm, okay. Uh, um. Well, as a man who's already been to like Santorini and Greece, I can tell you like the school. Like, if you spend a day there, you it's nothing too memorable. But I feel like if you go to Japan, like, there's, like the anime culture, they have a whole Kit Kat factory. Yo, I'd love myself off in Japan. So, Japan it is for me. Yeah. Maybe. So, yo, thank you for um, answering some of these questions just so that our audience could get to know you a little bit better. Um, and now we'd like to go into the nitty gritty of a, a much more broader discussion with sure. particular topics. Is that okay? Absolutely. So, we definitely, so we gave a little like uh, bio, like description of you, but yeah. that was like an opportunity for you to like, you know, describe yourself, share who you are, um, maybe some things that weren't said in the bio that you think are important for people to know. Sure. Um, so yeah, it's an opportunity for you to introduce yourself. Yeah, so um, I was born and raised in Winnipeg. Um, my, uh, like I said, my, my mom's side's from Jamaica and my dad's side is, is Russian Jewish. So, but I grew up with my mom. Um, so I've, I think a part of the reason, I don't think she really understands how much of a significance she holds in the work that I do, but um, a lot of, you know, what I do now with um, my career is she's had a huge impact. Um, So a part of being like a a community activist, um, I like to, um, I don't know, I've always been very vocal and passionate about what I believe in. Um, And then I, I majored in human rights at the university of Winnipeg and I didn't realize you can, you know, major in a topic like that. So, um, I'd say throughout the last couple of years, I've been really focused and determined on just, um, you know, promoting awareness of, of how to challenge um, a lot of oppression our community is facing in Winnipeg and just getting us resources that, you know, honestly, our community is, is lacking and we should be receiving from, you know, the provincial and federal and municipal government. Um, but yeah, I've, uh, I, I've always been... Uh, vocal and passionate. I'm all, like you said in my bio, I'm a beatboxer. So um, I've been doing that since I was like nine. Um, and I always try to, um, I do a lot of public speaking. So I kind of open up with beatboxing and people are just kind of like, like I was, I remember I was at the Manitoba legislative one time <laughs> and I just started sing out a beat and all these politicians are looking at me like, what the hell is going on? And it really gets people's attention. Like I'm trying to, I'm trying to uh, wake people up, you know? So, um, yeah, I've, uh, 
I the work that I do is is rewarding, but it's also incredibly challenging as anybody who's involved in advocacy or, you know, black radical activism. Um, but I'm 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 fortunate and I'm blessed to be in the position that I am and just hopefully continue to be supported. Um, yeah, throughout my work. So so like um, you spoke about, like, you know, majoring in like human rights and um. So that was just something that you were always interested in or did that come like later on in like um, in your like academic journey, like in high school? Like when did you realize that's something that you were interested in? Um, well, I think it's I think it's always been a, a firm undertone like throughout my life. Um, I, I went to a predominantly white high school um, and I just... I always, I was always that kid who challenged what we were learning in class or I had an issue with my teachers. I hated listening to authority. Um, and my mom would just, uh, I don't know, teach me so many things about, um, our history that we weren't learning in school. I remember when I was like uh, 11 or 12, uh, I watched Malcolm X by Spike Lee for the first time. Yeah. And, um, that scene that comes on where he challenged the, the priest that, that God's, you know, really, um, black. Um, I don't know, at such a young age that just clicked. It just made sense to me. Um, and I just was so passionate about learning more, um, about our history. And I didn't learn anything about slavery in Canada or residential schools or, you know, the history of, of the head tax or Islamophobia in Quebec. I didn't learn anything, throughout my, my adolescent years. And it wasn't until I, I went into my second year of university um, that I started taking courses that, you know, um, educated me on so much of the uh, oppression and discrimination that, you know, existed and still exists in our country. Um, so I, I'd say with, again, with the influence of my mom, I've always been really... Uh, interested in just learning about our history because I was I was I think myself and so many other people can relate that um, we had no point of reference and we didn't have anything in school Um, and it's crazy now because you know Viola Desmond's on the $10 bill and I think just because you know we have a, a black woman who made history in Canada on our currency you know that doesn't change the uh institutional negligence that, you know, the Canadian government still hasn't um, been giving Black communities across the country. Like, we're not in the education system, especially in Manitoba, the Black black education um, and representation is dismal. Um, So, yeah, I just, I always, I I see something I don't like, and I, I try to I try to shine light on on the issue. Mm. Um, what what would you say are some of the tools that your degree gave you to challenge anti-black racism? Um, not much. I okay. So I majored in human rights, and at the University of Winnipeg Global College, uh, my department was notorious for. Um, we just. You know, we learned about the United Nations and that was like the be all end all for, you know, saving the world. Um, And I just I didn't 
I couldn't wrap my head around these organizations that were international, like the International Monetary Fund and the World Bank and the International Criminal Court and organizations that are, you know, continue to put, um, in quote, developing countries further into debt and um, just despair. And I just think that, you know, white supremacy and, you know, Western colonial institutions are contributing to this global um, this global genocide of people of color around the world. And my my department never wanted to touch on, um, you know, radical black advocacy. That's why I got into human rights. Because when I thought of human rights, I'm like, hey, Martin Luther King, Malcolm X, Angela Davis, like the people that spoke to me. Um, growing up, Marcus Garvey, and nobody, they didn't touch on any of those political or, or ac, uh, ac, um, advocate um, throughout my degree. And it just, it just didn't sit well with me. So I was the person in class who was like, okay, let's decentralize whiteness from a human rights perspective. You can't um, come from human rights with just a, a Eurocentric perspective. And that's all we were talking about, you know, um, and conflict resolution and international development and human rights. It's just, it's very Eurocentric and it's very much white um, Westerners telling the rest of the world how, you know, to, to govern themselves and to live their lives. And I just said, it didn't sit well with me. Yeah. And I think that's something that we can definitely like all relate to. I don't know if you want to speak about your, cause you majored in history at, at York, right? So I'm just... <laughs> Yo. Yeah. Uh, so, um, I can attest to the lack of material that isn't, um, present in my program or the lack of courses or even those courses that are like, um, Afrocentric or a focus on like, say race relations or race history. Um, more often than not, it was taught by like a white professor who um, didn't live those lived-in experiences. And you, even in your TED talk, like talked about some of the issues that can arise when like someone who doesn't um, live that experience or doesn't fully understand like the the context of like what it's like to navigate this world as like a black person, but like mm-hmm. fully like and paid for this, um, fully putting this knowledge onto other folks, especially like folks that are black and non-black. Mm-hmm. And causing um, harm at the same time. Exactly. And how that can perpetuate and impact like the culture that you have on campus, the the foundation of education that other folks have on that same campus that you have to have interactions with, the kind of discussions that you have with like um your classmates and, and yeah, yo. So what are what are some of the influences that influence your work? Because you talk about how like in your program you look at the international and global aspect of it, but like yeah. Some something's missing. Something, especially like like black voices in those spaces, or like the way in which like the whiteness, which is centered in those kind of like international global spaces, um, don't cater to the growth of like the folks that they quote unquote um, want to help, and that you now want to like focus on like more local and grassroots. So like, what are the influences in like your own community, your own hood, as well as like the hip hop influence that you talk about, especially like on Instagram and in your work? I'd say on a local level, um, you know, Winnipeg is, we're up and coming, and especially in the hip-hop community here, um, there's there's hip-hop artists, there's soul and R&B artists, but it's not as supported as other 
you know, genres of music. This is a, this is a, a rock and a country province, <laughs> to be honest with you. Um, and we had, we had a couple of hip hop stations. I remember when I was growing up, but we don't have one anymore because it's not, it's not supported. And, um, uh, when I was saying before earlier, um, hip hop was such a, a major influence for me because I just thought, um, as I, uh, was creating music at home and I was, you know, figuring out this new thing called beatboxing. Um, it helped me figure out, I don't know, I guess, you know, you can really uh, master something, you can master your craft, be good at it and use it as a tool, um, you know, throughout your career and for your, in, in my case, to um, advocacy. Um, um, I remember I was like 16, 15, 16, and uh, had these cultural celebrations like in the summer. We have this one thing called Folklorama, and then it's like a reggae fest, um, and some um, cultural celebrations uh, throughout the year. And um, on our old hip hop station, Bubba B, the MC, who's like this long standing um, MC and radio host in Winnipeg. Um, got me on stage and I started beatboxing and the crowd went crazy and it was like my first time on stage and I was just like oh my god this is the best thing that's ever happened to me <laughs> I was like 16 um and I don't know I think there's been um like just meeting with folks in my community um and uh organizations that have you know led the way before like they're um um, like Bubba is a good example, um, the Congress of Black Women in Manitoba, um, and and other organizations that's really tried to, you know, get shit done for Black folks across Winnipeg. But, you know, a lot of the work that you do um, throughout grassroots activism is voluntary, and that burnout is real. The activist burnout is so real. And I think people start initiatives and they lose momentum because, this is a lot of work. No one's um, getting funded or resources to do this full time. Um, and I'm fortunate that I, I, I have the energy to, to hustle as much as I can. But still, um, we're still in a grassroots, uh, you know, setting. I want to move from grassroots to operational. And that's the only time that we're really going to be able to, you know, genuinely advocate and uh, get things for, for our community. But I'd say beatboxing and and being involved in um music and, and like after school programs and you know just just meeting people um across the the city who were trying to you know develop their their craft i'd say uh gave a clear direction for myself um but it's it's still hard. Like Winnipeg, we're <laughs> we we're 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 blossoming, and um, I I'm looking forward to the to the day where hip hop and um, reggae and soul are more supported. There's definitely things happening here, um, mm-hmm. but it's it's not as it's not nearly the scene um, like it is in Toronto or other places across the country. Um, you spoke a, a little bit on like the experience of Black folks in Winnipeg, mm-hmm. uh, talking about the after-school after school program, um, the beatboxing radio station being shut down. Um, could you expand on just like uh, being Black in Winnipeg? Like, what's what's the community like? Um, 
I'd say it's it's similar to other communities I've been to across the country. Like for I think for the longest time, um, black people have been exempt from the Canadian narrative, but particularly the erasure and isolation that black folks face on the prairies, because I think the rest of the country forgets that black people exist on the prairies. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, we've had um, folks um, coming here from the Caribbean um, throughout the 1960s and the 1980s, a lot of Afro uh, newcomer communities, so different countries in Africa. And there's, there's, a, there's a rich, diverse community here um, across the diaspora. Um, particularly, uh, we have a, a strong Jamaican and Caribbean community, a strong Nigerian community, um, even throughout East Af- Eastern Africa, Eritrean, Ethiopian, Somali, Djibouti. Um, but I think, and actually it's interesting, yesterday um, this organization called Connecting the Dots um, came here and we had like a community strategy session on how to mobilize, how to best mobilize Black communities in, in Winnipeg. And, you know, it's nothing... I don't think it's anything new. I think all black communities are facing this across the country and across North America. Like the we're in, we're in silos. We're separated from each other. We're in our own individual pockets, but we're all fighting for the same thing. Um, I, I, I remember I, I was invited to speak on a panel in New Brunswick um, or in Fredericton on um, like black communities across the nation. And um, uh, I kind of said, like, I think, it's really it's been really hard with the you know politics and influence of white supremacy throughout our communities um to get on the same page you know one person's trying to finish chapter seven the other person's you know starting chapter one and we're all writing the same book but we're never on the same page and Mm -hmm. that's what um stops us from moving together collectively and also Mm -hmm. egos get in the way Mm -hmm. i can't tell you how many times i've been um, you know, mis- misread or misjudged. And, you know, every time you're recognized, especially by like the white media, you know, I think black folks look at you at a different way or think that you're, you're receiving, you know, so much. And a lot of this work I'm doing because I believe in it, but it's also, you know, at the, uh, one of the, the, the women from connecting the dots, Natalie was like saying, you know, she's doing all this work at the corner of her desk, you know, like we have careers and we need to put food on the table, but um, it's that's 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 how the system is so insidious because you know you're supposed to um, fight for your community, but you don't have the financial or institutional resources to really get what we need collectively. But um, it was it was a it was a great session, but I also think it exposed the lack of communication. Um, within the black community in Winnipeg. And, you know, this is a reality that I've seen throughout my whole life. I've, I've heard internalized racism throughout my family, um, you know, and then people don't want to, I think uh, it's hard for different groups to interact. Like the Nigerians stay together, J- the Jamaicans stay together, you know, um, the Somalis are doing their thing and uh, everybody we just under the umbrella of the African diaspora or blackness, we just really need to start coming together and, you know, breaking these cycles of um, silence and, and really work together and understand each other because we can't, um, we can't help even, we can't be in solidarity, I think with other communities of color until 
we're solid and we're found in, in what we're doing. And it's, it's hard because there's so many people doing the same thing and expecting a different result, but we just, we just need to collaborate. Mm. Yo, I I just have to big up one time because like you acknowledge something that I think is important to acknowledge that like yo like as black folks like yo y'all exist in the prairies dog. I'm <laughs> asking you. for specific things because I feel like a lot of people like throughout Canada they may still be surprised like if you go to some folks in like Nova Scotia be like yo like there's actually black folks in there say less. Mm. Um, but you folks have like particular issues that you folks are facing like and you want resources and you want that support and you want to be able to mobilize mm-hmm. but sometimes it's hard for you to ask those the, the kind of supports that you would need and the resources that you would need for particular issues that you folks are facing if people are going to argue that like yo like what you're experiencing or the issues that you're articulating don't exist it's yes, not right. real and that mm-hmm. might be because of like the kind of erasure that black folks face in manitoba so in your ted talk um it was centered on like white supremacy and higher education and in that yeah. talk you critique the notion of canada's nature of politeness and you continued by saying that like yo like the state continues to perpetuate this narrative including justin trudeau who constantly 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 markets canada as like such a nice place mm-hmm. um and in your words you say like yo um, it appears inclusive on the surface but remains exclusive in practice mm-hmm. so i wanted to know like if you could expound on this notion and what it means to like have this kind of erasure when you folks are legit asking for these kind of supports and you have general genuine issues whether it be like anti-blackness that's very specific to like folks in the prairies etc so yeah feel free to expound on that um yeah so that ted talk was um really interesting and i there are so many different ways I was, I could have took that. And, you know, TED Talk is about sharing ideas and being inclusive to everybody. And I'm not trying to be inclusive to everybody. You know, I think that's where people get really turned off. When I say I'm pro-Black, like, I mean that in my core. And I'm not, that's not a, a you know, dig at anybody else. That's mm-hmm. just saying that we, that's my people first. You know what I'm saying? And I was like, okay, TED Talk, from what I've seen before, you know, it's been kind of kumbaya, like let's all hold hands and learn with each other. I'm like, I'm like, that's not, that's not what, I, what I'm going for. So my original draft of my, uh, of my speech, I submitted it to the committee and they're like, they called me that day and they said, well, um, we think that with, like, we love your speech, but we think that is just, uh, maybe we can just reword a couple of things because wow, they like, try to censor you. Yeah. And they I don't mean, want to make people I, uncomfortable. Yeah. yeah. They didn't want, they didn't want white people uncomfortable to mm. be honest. That's, that's what it came down to. And, um, I was like, well, I don't know how else you want me to reframe something that I've experienced throughout my academic career. It was, um, heavily Eurocentric. There was, you know, racism on campus. It was very hard to be a woman of color in that, you know, human rights international department. And, um, so I, I redrafted it, but, um, I just took out, I just, I, I said, they said, you can't make generalizations about people. And I was saying pretty much like all white people are racist or have to deal with their own privilege. I was saying things like that. It wasn't anything that my friends weren't saying or that other people did things. But, you know, apparently you can't make general generalizations about white people collectively. I didn't know that. So I was like, okay. <laughs> I was like, okay. Fragility, yeah, it's white <laughs> fragility. And I was like, okay. So 
Um, like I, in the beginning of the video, I said white supremacy exists in Canada and I got the room to repeat after me. And, and I was like, because nobody thinks that white supremacy is something that exists throughout our country because of the, uh, veil of multiculturalism and acceptance and diversity. Uh, even, um, when Robin, May- Robin uh, Maynard came here to launch her book, Policing Black Lives, she touched on the same thing. And, you know, this, this, that in her book saying that Canada is the safe haven, it's not, you mm-hmm. see those, um, Canadian heritage commercials. Oh my oh, God, man. growing up, you know, <laughs> with like the black folks coming up. <laughs> yeah. Oh my God, it's saying that they're free. It's just so full of shit. And uh, um, throughout <laughs> throughout Manitoba, like I think black people are in a position where you know uh, there 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 is a obvious and overwhelming amount of anti-Indigenous discrimination and racism across the prairies and in Manitoba specifically. Um, and, you know, with in solidarity with our Indigenous family, um, I think it's been really important to to collaborate and connect with them, saying that the the and where anti-Indigenous racism persists, so does anti-Black racism, you know, and people forget that, um, it, ha- it knows no boundaries or knows no borders. And be just because, um, yes, black folks, some black folks might be, you know, quote, doing well or middle class or getting an education, you know, those, those kind of um, amenities don't excuse or erase much of the uh, discrimination that, you know, black people will face. And black space, um, actually this year we started our community mental health group therapy program. So it's called Project Heal. And it's for Black folks in Winnipeg who want to work through uh, trauma and work towards better mental health practices uh, in the in the same breath of white supremacy and dealing with anti-Black discrimination and racism. And, you know, that's been something that has definitely changed the foundation and format of Black space because I think throughout the prairies and throughout Canada, Black communities need to talk about healing more and challenging the stigma of mental health in black communities. Because I knew I grew up, you know, um, it was very much like in the Caribbean culture, children are seen and not heard. You don't really talk about your emotions. You have to be strong. Um, and even this, um, superhero black woman kind of phenomenon that's coming out a lot in like social media, uh, and public discourse, like those are damaging effects when we're seen we don't have a space to be vulnerable and black people can't, you know, process their emotions in a safe space with, and healing with and from other black, black folks as well. So, um, yeah, it's, it's, it's unique. It's unique circumstances we're facing out here. So I'm interested in learning like, like more about like the political landscape in like Winnipeg. So like, for example, over here in Ontario, uh, we had elections, um, uh, provincial elections and Doug Ford, uh, homophobic, racist, mm. white man was elected and had a majority government and has been doing really terrible things like not wasting any time, like, you know, rolling back 
back curriculum to 1998, having conversations about implementing like more policing, uh, more brutal police forces, things like that. So I'm wondering how is how is it look and a lot and also like cutting the number of um, like like reducing space community for like community spaces, yeah, yeah for community organ even a lot, a lot of community organizers ran in um, the municipal elections recently Ooh. and he literally cut the number of people in half. So a lot of those people who ran and who already started their campaign and put in a lot of work, um, they were like fully like ex- cut, like excluded. So they, there was like right. half the amount of spots. So a lot of community organizers who were like looking forward to like, you know, taking up space in these boardrooms. And um, yeah, they were denied that space pretty much. So um, a lot of that has been going on over here in Ontario. So I'm wondering like what's been popping in um, Winnipeg in terms of like elections and stuff like that. Um, so we already have our, you know, provincial Donald Trump, Brian Pallister, um, and y'all already have Doug, Doug Ford. So that's, and that's another thing that just is, continues to shock me, um, when people can't see that white supremacy exists in Canada because it, it shows throughout our, our, our leadership, whether that's provincial or, um, you know, federal or municipal. Um, I think that, uh, like, oh my God, Brian Pallister, uh, where our, our, our province is, is conservative right now is PC and all of his employees and, and MLAs are primarily white. I think that there's Wab Canoe who is, um, you know, a very strong indigenous leader here. Um, but in terms of like black representation, we just had a municipal election and, um, there was one black mayoral candidate, um, John Woodstock. He didn't, he didn't, uh, get in. Um, then we had a city councilor, Marcus Chambers, who was elected, um, and one, uh, a school trustee, Greg McFarlane. Um, but other than that, um, it's, it's very, there's black folks who run like, um, for the MLA Blondine Tona, who ran for, um, our, a community called St. Boniface here, but the political climate is very much, um, they can get away with what they're doing because there's, there's, I don't think there's enough pressure from, uh, communities, um, like there, there's pressure, but we need way more for them to actually hear us and make a difference. Um, but it's, it's very exclusionary and, um, Brian Pallister is just a horrible human being and he's, you know, the equivalent of Doug Ford here. So I, I couldn't, I couldn't say any, I, I won't say much cause I wouldn't have anything positive to say about, um, our, our premiere whatsoever. Yeah, and I don't know how you all feel about the situation, but for me, like, I don't know, I just don't have much, I don't play, put faith into, like, these um, these politicians. No. Um, sorry, we got, like, a little funny thing happening on our screen. Um, but I don't put any faith in these politicians because they're never going to, they're never going to um, work to, like, overthrow white supremacy. They're never going to call mm-hmm. out white supremacy. They're, you know, like, they uphold these institutions. doesn't matter if it's liberal. It doesn't matter if it's um, PC. Like, they're all the same, right? Absolutely. They're not going to end imperialism. They're mm-hmm. not going to stop stealing indigenous people's land. They're not going to stop taking over land in other countries. They're not going to end the war. They're not going to do any of these things, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so, like, I don't know. I don't know how y'all feel, but, like, for me, like, yeah, I just, I just, I just don't, I can't, I don't know. I just have a hard time putting my faith in, like, in the state to, like, actually do anything. Um, for the- and you shouldn't because they haven't, you know, governments never change. They only, they only are forced to change when grassroots movements, you know, put that pressure on them. And you're, you're completely right to not have faith in any 
government entity because what have they ever done for marginalized or black communities? Mm. Um, from my experience, I took a class um, on the global south this semester, this term, and my professor is really like super, like super dope in a lot of ways. Like, I, I find it interesting, like when you find like really dope professors in universities, because it's, it's rare. It's rare. <laughs> yeah. Um, but one of the things like he always touch upon is just like how the voting system and like voting system in Canada is just like so flawed, because mm. a lot of the private corporations mm. they influence mm-hmm. the votes and and they influence they influence the politicians. the politicians. You know what I'm saying? So at the end of the day, like this voting, this whole voting system is not really meant to benefit us because we vote and look who gets the power. You know what I'm saying? Like mm-hmm. look what comes out because these these private corporations who are funneling the campaigns, who are paying mm-hmm. these, p- paying the politicians, they're the one who at the end of the day have the veto part mm-hmm. over what the politicians do, you know? 100%. So, exactly. And after like they feed, it's like capitalism. It's like, capitalism. It's tied, like All this stuff co- ties in together. These, these corporations, these private corporations, like, you know, um, paying, as you said, like giving money to like politicians. Obviously politicians are going to have their best interests at mm-hmm. heart, right? Because mm-hmm. they're giving them money. So mm-hmm. it's just like so a big example is like, like the, the, the pipeline that going, that's going to go from, um, from the West to America. Like if you look into like the, um, how much damage that that can cause, and you see that the, the, the local people on the ground are like, yo, we don't want this, mm. but it's still being built. You know what I'm saying? Like, it's just interesting how like we have this whole democracy, quote unquote, quote unquote quote, democracy. But at the end of the day, like the people who are supposed to be fueling mm-hmm. it are not. They don't have a voice. We don't. We don't have a voice. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like an illusion, dog. You know what? Facts. You know, I think on. Like in our immediate memory, we all have been impacted by experiences on a federal, municipal, and a provincial level that have impacted like our trust in like whether it be like policing bodies or like the state and how the state is quote unquote supposed to be representing us. And even in like institutions, like all four of us at this very moment have had like some interaction and like post-secondary. And if post-secondary is to be considered a microcosm of the state in and of itself, we've all experienced ways that like, yo, like something that claims to be representing us or have our best interests or have like inclusive spaces or want to be, you know, like, um, what's the word? Non-problematic, progressive, um, free of like anti-blackness and uphold like values of equity and equality but it that's not the case like we've all experienced we've had we've all had some sort of experience that goes against that narrative and i think that plays a big role in like us being like yo like if we're not going to be adequately adequately represented we have to take on that that work Mm. we have to do that work the focus has to be local and grassroots Mm -hmm. and i loved in your ted talk how you you called out you called out justin trudeau about like diversity is our strength where where is the diversity that you're speaking of? Like, I don't see it. It's not in my school. What no. diversity are you talking about? Like, it's, you know? on it's on paper. It's on paper. That's but it, yeah, like, you know, and it just feeds into that whole narrative that, yeah, like we're so accepting and we love everybody. No. no. Yeah. I wonder if, like, even, um, what's the, I forget his name, the leader of the national, the NDP party. Andrea is Hor- that, Oh, I was going to say Jack Mead. I don't think that's right. He's uh, um, a guy. Okay, I don't know. Then. Yeah, um, he, he, the, he uh, there was a, a video of him that went viral of this white woman, you know, um, just berating him. Um, I, I believe he's um, his he's Sikh, and oh, um, thing. okay, yeah, yeah and um, <laughs> his response was, We love you. 
you know, we accept you. And like this white woman was, she was horrible. She was calling all types of names. And I was like, why, why do people, and some people of color always, you know, respond with like, um, like, I don't think that should have been an appropriate response, like mm-hmm. yelling back, like, we love you. You know, we accept this, this, uh, this racial discrimination. And I just thought mm-hmm. it was very, it was a very confusing response, in my opinion. And I think that's where, um, even like when people of color are elected into office, the system doesn't change. We know that, you know, we saw that with, we saw that with, um, President Obama, Obama. and, um, Sorry. you know, and politicians of color, I'm sure are in such a unique position because of the pressure that they're getting from their own communities and being, you know, this beacon of hope. And, you know, um, it's just, it's just like, and I said this even when I was, um, the racialized student commissioner, just because people of color are in positions of power doesn't mean that the state or the system is going to change in any way. You know what, just to add on to that, we even see like instances of like how like folks will try to work internally inside specific institutions or organizations, but like they're either left out dried and like used or like tricked or like mm. against them, whether it be like say Chief Mark Saunders in Toronto or as we're seeing in like Pride Toronto right now, Olivia something like that, yeah, the executive yeah. director. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, I think what you're saying is bare facts. You know? mm-hmm. Yeah, and I feel like this just to tie on to that too, like I feel like we touch on t- capitalism and it's big. Because these people are they're making mm. a whole bunch of money, you know what I'm saying? So Preach. like they're not gonna wanna like freaking like give up their positions. They're gonna try to figure it, find a way to make it last as long as they can. Mm-hmm. Exactly. You know? So and they'll give you like, and it's tokenistic. They'll give you like little crumbs. Like they'll try to give crumbs. <laughs> exactly. Oh, like like to try to like call the resistance. Oh, look, you got a black person. Like that's enough. <laughs> and you know, and that's what sometimes happens is like we like sometimes we'll see like a black person, a person of color in a position, and then we're like, all right, cool. And you bet. And like you know, we might we might calm down. Some people might calm down a little mm. bit. Just be like, we can't critique them because look, we have a black person. They gave us like something mm. that we wanted, but like no, that's not enough. Like it's not enough just to have a person of color. Yeah. In that what position. are they like, actually? What are they doing? And how is this yeah. changing? Like, if it's not changing, that's not enough. Mm-hmm. It's not changing. And it's not supposed to change because it's working the way it's supposed to be. And even we had um, uh, we had the first black police chief in Canadian history here, Devon Kunis. Um, and he's, he's Jamaican. But, you know, you would think something would happen in regards to, you know, over-policing of indigenous folks and, and, and brown folks and black people in, in Manitoba and you know, that wasn't the case. And uh, people, I think people of color have to be very mindful and hesitant when these opportunities come up because you're either going to be, like you said, the token or you're not going to meet the the demands and the needs of your community because you can't be inclusive to your community because you need to be inclusive to all. And we all know these, these systems um, serve first and foremost white folks before they will any other demographic. So just speaking on like serving the needs of your community, I do want to hold enough space so that like you can talk more about like black space, black space in Winnipeg, the work that you folks are doing, um, the kind of events that you you folks are putting on. Like I see that you folks enjoy putting on a lot of like film screenings as well. Oh like, yeah! Shout out to you folks. And also like yo, like what kind of supports do you folks need? Like if 
folks who are like hearing this in Toronto or in and out of this province, like what would they need to know about Black Space Winnipeg and how can they support and hold you folks down? Um, I didn't answer that question. Maybe in that renewed response, you could talk about what inspired you to um, to create or to find um, Black Space Winnipeg. And then, yeah, like what kind of supports, like, um, yeah, what people should know about it. Yeah, so uh, Black Space um, started in 2016. Um I remember I was home one day um, and I was on my social media and I saw a lot of the videos um, circulating around Black Lives Matter, in particular the shootings and deaths of Alton Sterling and Philando Castile. Um, And, you know, outside of my personal network and my group of friends, there was no public conversation about Black Lives Matter in a Winnipeg context. Um, I just feel like nobody was talking about it. And I thought that was crazy because um, I actually went, I was, I um, was in Toronto when they just started the tent city um, demonstration Black Lives Matter Toronto was, was, uh, was doing. Um, And I came back from that and I was just so inspired. Like, you know, there's black folks mobilizing in Toronto and, you know, what's happening in, in Winnipeg. And there, there are, there are great, um, organizations that do a lot of, you know, culturally focused celebrations, um, and mobilize, you know, their respective communities. Um, but in terms of like radical black activism, I didn't see anything. There's no really point of reference. Um, so I created an online private group called Black Space, just Black Space, and it was um, just a, a group on Facebook to, you know, share resources, connect, talk about like microaggressions and racism my friends and family were facing. Um, and then July rolls around, and um, I saw these videos, and I just I couldn't. I was like, something, someone needs to talk about this. There needs to be like a public demonstration. So I I went online and I created an event called Not Another Hashtag Black Lives Matter. And um, it, it I we took like black space from a private group to like an, you know, a grassroots organization. And um, it was, it was powerful. There was like over 500 or a thousand people who showed up to our legislative building and, you know, stood in solidarity and was just there to, you know, talk about the importance of this movement, being in solidarity with folks across, you know, the country and, you know, the rest of the world and why we need to start having these conversations about challenging racism and anti-Black racism in Winnipeg. Um, so since then, that I think opened a door more for these these specific types of conversations. And um, we started a lot through challenging um, oppression through artistic resistance. So, um, the, the same year in 2016, um, I got really tired of like the art scene in Winnipeg and how white it was like overwhelmingly white. Um, and our festival, I, I think you guys have it too, Nuit Blanche. Um, I, I emailed them and I was like, there's no way that you don't have any, there's no indigenous or black artists or other artists of color out here that can't be, you know, hosted in a gallery for an evening. So I reached out to um, Jabril Bangura, who is an incredible African artist who moved uh, to Edmonton now. And at his studio, we uh, started our own 
event called Nui Noir, and it was our Afrocentric Artist Showcase. Mm. So that um, across all disciplines like visual, multi multimedia, um, performance art, um, and we've been doing that for the past three years now of just Black people, you know, in a gallery setting expressing their narratives um, through art. And um, it's been really amazing. We've had probably over um, 30 artists within the past three years display their work or, or come out and, and vibe with us. And I've, I'm so happy and fortunate that we've been making the space. And um, with our film screenings, uh, <laughs> Um, at Winnipeg Film Group Cinematheque. And uh, we started a partnership with this organization of screening and promoting Black narratives on screen because, um, like I said, the the representation, um, you know, the presidency is for Black folks. So um, 2018, our um, pilot project we're doing next year of the first um, Black centric film festival across the prairies um, called the Afro Prairie Film Festival. And that I think came out of a lot of the work that um, a, a pioneer by the name of Winston Washington um, did in, in Manitoba. And um, it's it's uh, February 21st, 24th. Um, last year we had. Charles come in, who is a legendary African-American filmmaker, and just really promote um, emerging and established Black filmmakers across the country uh, and, and get the word out. And, you know, there's, I think film is such an art, such a powerful tool to challenge um, oppression. And um, there's a lot of dope uh, Black artists across Winnipeg and across the country that I do not think are getting the recognition or the platform that they deserve. So um, any way we can help with that, I'm, I'm very happy to do. Yeah, that's so sick. Yeah. Yo, that's so sick. Um, thank you for just sharing like time and space to talk a little bit more about the organization, what you sure. folks are doing, um, the ways in which other folks would be able to support. Like, yo, honestly, like, it sounds so dope, though. Yeah. So, thank like, you. Like, up one time for the one time. Like, can we big no, up Alexa? Thank you. Like, yeah, yo, it's super, it's super, it's especially for you, for y'all to just reach out to create your own space. Like, that's, a, that's I have to congratulate you for that, yo. Because that's Thank like you. finding space within that, um, within like that space, I guess, mm -hmm. is definitely hard. And it's, 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 it shows that, like, yo, why, why, why not be more inclusive? You know what I'm saying? Exactly. Like, uh, What's the, what would you say is like the biggest thing you've learned or the, um, from like, do, like, from doing this work or the biggest lesson or, yeah, I don't know, your biggest takeaway so far? Um, I think, you know, Black Space originally started a lot with, like, first educating predominantly white people that Black people exist in Winnipeg and that we experience racism. Honestly, that was, like, the, the initial um, takeaway. And after six months of that, I got really tired and the emotional labor was quite real on just, like, always... Um, trying to prove that we're going through shit and celebrate who we are, you know, that was really exhausting. And a lot of the 
work that we did was was within white spaces. And, you know, I kind of after um, when Angela Davis came here, um, <clears throat> that event taught me a lot because at the same time, it was incredible to meet her. She's such a presence. And, you know, she just I, she's done so much for the movement. Um, but the organization that brought her in they had all the resources, you know, we're this grassroots nonprofit, you know, just trying to get established and they wanted to partner with us. Um, I think to, you know, seem a little bit more legitimate. And I remember I was sitting beside her and she leans over and she asks me, um, what role exactly did like you and black space have in this? And I said to her, well, to be honest, professor Davis, um, we're here to like make things look more inclusive, but I so didn't that was have... a white organization. I'm guessing. Yeah, they're mm-hmm. the Canadian Center for Policy Alternatives, so okay. I'd say they're predominantly white-led. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, they're never going to say that. You know, they're they're an organization for all, but I, you know, there's not a lot of you know, um, there's yeah. not much happening. Mm-hmm. Uh, and <laughs> so I was just like, you know we're here to serve a purpose. And she just looked at me and nodded because obviously she gets, <laughs> she gets it. Um, but that taught me a lot about also partnerships and collaborations with organizations, established organizations, white organizations, because um, I think with the uh, partnership and collaborations, black space has been credited with some legitimacy because of the, involvement of white organizations and that's fucked up but at the same Mm. time i think that's how some people took us seriously um and but it didn't sit well with me because i don't want to do events that are educating white people on how not to be not to be racist i've i've and i think in the same breath of decolonization and this is something that I've learned. Um, I have been very conscious about my interactions with white people because in Winnipeg, you'll there'll be spaces where you're the only black person for you know a while. And um, my upbringing was very white, other than like my 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 family and my network. Um, I was definitely one of those kids who who was what who lacked a cultural significance and meaning in their life. And um, I just think that white people, I don't, I don't have any hope for them collectively. I've accepted who they are and how they're supposed to be. There might be, there might be hope for them on an individual level, but collectively they've already showed us and proven us who, who they are. And I don't know why people of color are so shocked when they do Because it's been shit. years. It's been a long time. Like, it's, been, know, century. it's been intergenerational. Like, they are who they are. And, and, time. Yeah. and don't, and don't be mad at them. Like, they are who they are. Whatever. Don't fuck with them. And we're just going to work on our own shit now. So, um, finding and making consciously meaningful connections with Black people has saved me in so many ways that I can't even imagine. And um, in Winnipeg too, like I've heard, this is this is probably for another episode, but Jeez, also like interracial relationships. And I'm biracial, and I promise you, biracial babies are not the solve the problem solve the problem to racism. Mm. And the internalized racism that happens within biracial families. Um, and when, you know, black folks say that they, they don't date other black people, I've heard a lot, 
growing up um, in in Winnipeg, and it's it's detrimental. And that's why I'm so passionate with the work we're doing with Project Heal because we really need to start breaking down these cycles of of internalized violence and healing with each other. Um, but yeah, that's been a big lesson is is being very cautious of partnering with white people, uh, and also the the ego. And, you know, large personalities that clash within Black communities um, in regards to leadership and, you know, that competitive, um, that competitive streak where, you know, I think it's internalized white supremacy when mm. um, we try to tear each other down when someone else is doing really well. And we're like, well, we, we, we want to see this person do well, but not better than us type of thing. And I think that's a, a, a very um, harsh but um, real thing that black people and black leadership and, you know, black activism um activist communities need to talk about way more um yo alexa i just want to say first and foremost like thank you so much for the work that you're doing to attempt decentralized whiteness within like your own hood your own ends um your school that you already got your degree from and like dipped out of you know what i mean (laughs) (laughs) um yo like i've taken so much from this conversation and i can't thank you enough for like putting me on to a lot of different things that you folks are going through in manitoba Black folks in the prairies, ah. Uh. That's right. <laughs> in what ways can like people from Toronto like can I create like that dialogue that cross that cross that across what do you call that borders and uh, borders dialogue? Yes. Yeah. Wait, cross examining commonalities between the, these boundaries. Sure, that's a that's a dope way to put it. Yeah. How we can how can we connect? How can we connect? <laughs> <laughs> well, you know what I I was so happy when I came across your podcast and I was. I wanted to reach out for you for a long time. Um, And, you know, I've always, I think um, other other, uh, communities in Canada look up to Toronto specifically, like in the Black community, because you have done so much and there's institutions and organizations in place that are doing the work that, you know, I can only dream to do full time. Um, And I think, since um, Toronto is very Toronto centric, like y'all hype each other up, which is amazing. <laughs> I think that it would be great if we figured out some type of um, network that we were um, more uh, in conversation with one another. Mm-hmm. Um, and there are there are organizations doing that, like the the folks that came here connecting the dots um, and Black History Month Black History Month Committee Ottawa, I believe they're called. Um, they they did uh, their their nationwide tour mm-hmm. and it was amazing to meet them. But uh, Ottawa, Toronto, and like Montreal, those are like the beacons of I think uh, very national public um, Black advocacy. And since there's so much um, coming out of these organizations that Ottawa, Toronto, and Montreal forget, or um, maybe not forget, but aren't conscious that you know, black communities exist, you know, um, west of, of mm-hmm. Ontario. And we need, we just, we want to connect and we want to learn and we need to collaborate because as much as we're doing work in our individual communities, we need to always be in solidarity with each other across the country. Yeah. And I think, yeah, we can't, 
work in silos too much. Like we need to make mm-hmm. these connections. We need each other pretty much to yes. overthrow the system, right? We can't do it our, by ourselves. Like white supremacy is not just in Toronto. Like it's not just in Ontario. Like you know, it's 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 countrywide. It's global. So yeah, exactly. making nationwide connections, I think, will be so dope. And I think it's really really important. Um, really really important. Yeah. So yeah, I'm just thinking more about how we can do that. Like, yeah. yeah, really like actually thinking about how do we do this. Mm. All right, so Alexa, again, I just want to uh, reaffirm you for the work that you're doing to decentralize whiteness within like your own ends, your own hoods, um, your institutions. Again, like you got that degree, you're out, dog. Like, shut up, you big up yourself, please. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Um, well, first of all, if there's anything that we can do to help you out and support, just let us know. But like, yo, how are you feeling from this conversation? We've cre- curated a conversation to, to hold space for you to talk about your experiences, the work that you're doing. Um, so what's one word that you would describe how you're feeling after this conversation has occurred? Um, I feel re-energized. Mm. I feel re-energized because sometimes you feel like you're alone Mm -hmm. and you're really not like we're all facing so much of, you know, the same issues. And, um, I just think it's so important to, to maintain these conversations and just with people. I know self-care is a thing. Everyone needs to practice self-care. Um, but self-care also comes in these conversations that we have with each other and, you know, just, just create networks and um, share ideas and just just talk with each other. Like this, this in itself and this conversation was healing and therapeutic. So I thank you guys so much for the work that you're doing. And you started your own platform to elevate other voices. And that's huge. And I hope y'all get some major sponsorships soon so you can full time. Well, let's um, put it out there. Put it in the universe. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> because there's definitely grants that you can apply for that can make three dreads in a break. Like, um, I don't know, maybe grassroots to more operational. So mm-hmm. we could talk. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's definitely one of our one of our visions. Yeah. Like, you know, like to expand. I'm, I'm interested for you too. Like, what's like what what do you, where do you think your organization will be in like the next five years or so? What's your hope for it? Oh, um, fully operational. Um, where our initiatives are funded, um, and we have an actual space that's central and convenient, and you know that just. Uh, is for the community. Um, that's what I. That's what I'm planning for. That's what I hope we can plan to execute. And we've definitely. It's it's taken time, but there's been more Black folks who want to work with us and you know are ready to challenge the system. So it's it's been really rewarding. Mm-hmm. Cool. So yo, um, thank you again for coming on to the discussion. Thank you. Um, and I think the homies have all learned one thing. Like, what would be your your one words just to check out for y'all? Hmm. Yo, I, I say inspired. Oh, oh yeah, yeah, I was gonna, gonna say that. I say inspired. Yeah, because y'all, y'all have been doing dope work, and um, within like a very like I know Toronto's multicultural, quote unquote. It's, it's a very it's a lot of different communities. Um, but to do that in a very white space, in a white supremacist space, um, yeah, that's, I have to say, like, y'all are very inspiring. Thank you. 
Because I don't know. Yo, I have to say, like, yo, the word I'm feeling after this conversation is disruptive, dog. Like, yo, after this sample, like, how can I not go and, like, fuck shit up at the moment? Bro? Like, yo, sh- oh, man, that was so tough. That was so tough. Thank you. <laughs> Um, and I feel more aware, I would say, mm-hmm. um, because yeah, living in Toronto, like yeah, we're just, I'm just, I feel like yeah, I'm in kind of a box. I know what's happening in the city of Toronto, but that's it. Like you know, I don't really know what's happening in the rest of Canada. So it's nice now to have someone else who's coming from a different part of um, the country, um, who's doing like very similar work. Like it's nice to see those parallels. Um, it's nice to hear the differences as well. And it's uh, yeah, it has me thinking more about how we can continue to make these connections across provinces. Um, yeah because it's, it's super important so more aware 100 yeah. percent. Mm, very cool all right well thanks so much guys yeah. and you know what let's stay connected yes um and i will i will keep you posted i have your email now so i'll keep you posted on what we're doing and feel free to tell any black filmmakers that you know to submit their their work to the afro prairie film festival too <laughs> Okay, okay definitely. Are, do you come to Toronto often or? I do. Really? I come at, at least like once a year. So okay. the next time I'm in Toronto, we we will have to connect. Okay, no, here. definitely, definitely. Yeah. We'll, maybe we can try to see if we can plan a trip to. to <laughs> yeah, that'd, that'd be lit. Oh, that'd be lit. Let, that's me, let me work. Let me work on that funding. <laughs> oh, actually, I also sit on a board um, at. Uh, I went to a conference earlier this year in North Carolina, and I sit on a planning committee for a conference they do that connects Black communities across North America. Mm. Um, so they're looking for proposals, um, and you should definitely submit a proposal, and maybe you guys can um, get sponsored or, or find some travel funding to go, because media was a, a huge element in their discussion and you you guys have an, an amazing platform that you can definitely get the word out what's the name of that yeah, yeah. Oh, it's called uh, black communities a conference for collaboration and when is that you know it, it'll be next september 9th to 11th i okay. i have the newsletter i can send it to oh yeah you can send that to us that'd be dope yo thanks so much mm-hmm. for sharing yeah i, no I think we'll be interested in applying yeah. like, you know just shooting our shot like see what absolutely <laughs> Yeah. Um, but yeah, so yeah, thank you so much again. Thank you. Uh, I guess is gonna, we're gonna wrap up this conversation. And yeah, you enjoy the rest of your day. Keep doing incredible work. Um, and we'll definitely stay connected. And it's 3DD, we be bumping to the speakers and it's 3DD, and we loving all your features and it's 3DD, and we super inclusive all with our privilege and we will never abuse it and it's 3DD, we be bumping to the speakers and it's 3DD, and we loving all your features and it's 3DD, and we super inclusive all with our privilege and we will never abuse it. Head top, Harry yet, he be laughing at these niggas who can't even handle it. Mr. Black Love, coming with the smoothness. Probably take your chick. Who that nigga be so ruthless? I'm ruly. Mr. Playboy, Rafi, no axe, no blood, clap, question. Up to nobody, just you, them. It's Lexus, your girlfriend, favorite exes. Three jets and a duet when they asking who's the best. It's black excellence, we don't know about nothing else. else.